Hi guys, I'm Kaleshi. Hi guys, I'm Rachel. Hi, I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Amanda. And hi, I'm Kaylin Bayron, author of Cinderella is Dead. Woo! Oh <laughs> Yay! <laughs> So guys, this is the Book Babes podcast with a special twist. This time we aren't just reviewing a book. We're actually getting to speak to the author. So yes, if you guys remember last month was Cinderella is Dead. And we had a blast of a time. Go listen to that episode if you haven't already. Today we're fortunate enough to have the author. And so we're just going to questions. Let's get into it. Okay. Um, first question for Kaylin. Um, if you could find, if you could fit four words onto a shirt that you would wear every day and that describes you so accurately, what would they be? Oh, um, I probably should have thought of something clever to say beforehand, but maybe like, please leave me alone or like, I'm tired, I need coffee. Um, I have terrible anxiety, something like that. Like it's going to oh be, <laughs> it's going to be something like that. I can't, I don't know. Yeah. That's, um, probably, yeah. Something like that. What color I shirt? feel you. <laughs> yeah. Really... yeah. What's, what color shirt do you think it would be? Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say green. I'm feeling green. Yeah, that works. <laughs> okay. Okay, um, our second question for you is, writing in your opinion is an art, right? Um, so what's your favorite tool, literary or physical? Um, you know, I, I, I do think there's a, a craft uh, to writing, but I think just like with other kind of mediums, um, you know, it's, it's kind of that expression is unique to the creator. Um, but, you know, I love to write and I, I love to, you know, think that each new project that I tackle, um, you know, I'm learning more about the ways I want to express myself and what I hope people will kind of take away from, from the writing itself. But I, you know, I think my favorite tool for writing is reading. Um, I am a writer because I'm a reader first and I continue to learn about my craft and to improve on it by being an avid reader. Um, I'm constantly inspired by other writers um, and constantly learning from them. I think I've learned more from just reading other writers than I ever have from, you know, uh, creative writing courses that I've taken and, and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not a one-to-one -one comparison, of course. Um, I, I, I like to think of my work as being in conversation with other stories versus in competition with them, especially um, when we're talking about YA fantasy uh, that centers Black girls because there are so few um, of us in this space right at this moment. Um, so I don't think any of us kind of feel like we're in competition with each other, but our books are definitely in conversation. Um, with each other and with the, the wider kind of literary community. So I, I think that the tool I use most is is just being a reader. I love um, that viewpoint because obviously we're doing that as a book club and just trying to like expand ourselves. Mm -hmm. Our next question is, 
as an author, you of all people can understand that words have power. Do you remember a time when this really struck true to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, that's true. Absolutely true. Um, words have power and therefore there is kind of inherent power in storytelling. Um, and I think that I find little bits of that in most of the things that I read, but um, something, something that struck me more recently was Amanda Gorman's reading of her poem at the inauguration, um, the, the Hill We Climb. Um, listening to that and those opening kind of uh, stanzas, it, it, it really affected me in a very visceral kind of way. Um, and it's, um, I'm gonna try and quote here. I think it's, you know, when, when day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never ending shade? And for me, that feels like a very timely question because it's, it's kind of like, I feel the weight of, you know, kind of injustice and oppression and racism and misogyny and homophobia. I feel the weight of all of that. I see it every single day. And those words kind of echo this sentiment um, that I think a lot of us feel, which is like, how much more are we supposed to endure? How much more are we supposed to be expected to carry? Um, and so that entire reading of that poem, I, I, I would suggest that everybody read that from top to bottom. Um, it, I, I feel like it should be required reading. It's just so powerful. Um, and before we go on to the next question, uh, you, you touched on homophobia and racism and oppression. And as an author who has um, perhaps experienced several of those things, do you feel an obligation to write about it, to speak up about it? Or is it just you do it? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I do. And sometimes though, carrying that, that weight feels, um, it feels heavy sometimes because sometimes I just want to write about stories where, you know, Black girls are running around saving the world and, you know, getting to just live their best life and not always um, having to center their struggle or their pain. Um, there are room for those stories, absolutely. Um, but I think that for every story that we have that focuses on that pain and that kind of um, uh, deconstructs some of those those feelings and those experiences, I think we also need to have something that kind of shows our joy and our um, our triumphs. Um, we we really uh, need both. We need a balance because publishing has taught us how to view um, black people, specifically black women. Um, and and I think there's a very kind of stereotypical view. Um, black people are not a monolith. Um, you know, it, so it, it, it doesn't really make sense that we just have this one viewpoint, this one characterization of who we are as people. Um, so I, I, I think it's my responsibility um, as a Black woman, as a queer Black woman to speak up and speak out. But it's very important, um, I think, to allow creators who share these intersectional identities to write what they want to write, um, because it's important to have stories about fun and saving the world and being the chosen one and you know telling a fairy tale retelling and it's you know we, we deserve those kinds of stories too so um so yeah there's definitely a responsibility there but I I don't ever want it to feel like I'm 
like it's only my job to do that because I also think that people who call themselves allies need to do their part um, because I didn't create this problem. I didn't create this racism that I'm experiencing and this homophobia that I'm experiencing. Y'all created that. So it's your job to help undo it. Um, and so I, I feel that too. I feel all of those things simultaneously. Couldn't agree more. Um, <laughs> so we're going to try and uh, we're going to now talk about the book selection and um, so like why you chose the book that you chose and everything that ties up into the book that you chose. So um, the question is, was Cinderella always a fairy tale you knew you wanted to twist or were there any runner-ups or were there any other decisions or did it just kind of come to you? What, what happened with, in choosing Cinderella? Yeah, I, um, I was watching a lot of um, this TV show called Once Upon a Time um, at the time. And um, I thought it was really fascinating that there were these kinds of other, you know, what was going on kind of behind the scenes. I also am a huge musical theater fan. And so um, Wicked is one of my favorite um, musicals and it is essentially a retelling um, from, uh, you know, from the Wicked Witch's point of view. And so, um, I knew it, I knew I wanted it to be a Cinderella retelling, but I knew that I didn't want to um, do like a beat for beat retelling. I didn't want it to be Cinderella, but she's black. Um, I really wanted to kind of, I, I feel like in storytelling, sometimes we're zoomed in on a very specific part of the story, right? So these fairy tales, we already, in the beginning, we already have, we know who the good guys are, the bad guys are it's you know you meet a prince and you fall in love and you get married and ride off into the sunset and that's it i think if we zoom out a little bit well what happened before what happened after those those parts of the story to me are what is most interesting and so i was thinking about cinderella and you know what happened afterwards and how might that have affected you know a community that took her story as fact um and what happens when you know you're in this this place that has these very heteronormative societal expectations and you don't want to find a prince you know you don't want to find a princess you want something else how does that um you know what does that look like and so i knew it, i knew it had to be cinderella because she is everywhere unfortunately she is kind of when we think about disney princesses i think cinderella is one of those those ones that just kind of comes to mind. Um, I grew up in like the 80s and the 90s when Disney princesses were in their prime. And so it was all over the place. And that's Cinderella's castle at Disney World. It's, you know, it's it's everywhere. And so I really wanted to take this story that everybody was fairly familiar with and do something completely different with it. So I knew I wanted it to be Cinderella. I just wasn't sure how. Um, but Once Upon a Time was um, an inspiration for sure. Okay, uh, well, thank you for sharing. I do have a slight follow-up question for that, and I'm sorry everybody for intruding, but so you said Wicked is your, or is one of your favorite musicals, right? Mm -hmm. um, I personally love musicals, I'm all about it, but I do want, I was wondering if that one is your favorite musical, why, how come you didn't go for, for example, the stepsisters or with the um, 
with the stepmother. Why why didn't you choose that route instead and and went with Cinderella instead? Yeah, I um I knew so uh Cinderella is dead takes place about 200 years um after the events of the Cinderella story that we all know. And in my first uh draft of this story, it was Cinderella's stepsister was the main character. Um, it it was it was an okay story, but I didn't. I really needed time for this um, community to um, to kind of absorb the events of Cinderella and then take her story and turn it into this almost this very almost like a religious text. And I needed time in order to do that, so I had to push out the events of this story a little further. And so it didn't really. Um, it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense for me to center one of the stepsisters. They would be dead and gone by the time we kind of are established in this world. And so um, I, I really wanted to center um, a girl who might be on the outside of this, you know, this kind of perfect society kind of looking in. Like she's there, she exists, but she is essentially rendered invisible by the laws and rules that have um that have kind of sprung up around the Cinderella story. So it really was more, it was more about kind of wanting to, to uh, navigate through this story through the eyes of someone who was most vulnerable. Um, and I didn't, um, also with the, with the twist that ends up happening with um, King Manford, um, I really wanted to, this main central character to be someone who was not connected um, to the story uh, and who wasn't so close to it. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Love that. <laughs> All right, so you sort of did touch on it a bit, but I'll just go a bit more. So in our determination to not ask you the question, why did you write this book? We did some of our own digging and on your website, that sounds really stalkerish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It said because you loved fairy tales as a kid, but you rarely got to see anyone who looked like you in those stories. And so as a book club made up of girls of color, we appreciated it and we appreciated it a whole lot. But we were wondering why you kept the races of the original Cinderella characters the same. Was there a specific reason? Um, like Cinderella herself? Or Cinderella. there are... Yeah, there, there are no white characters in Cinderella is Dead. Um, in my mind, Cinderella looks like Beyonce, maybe, you know what I mean? Um, and Manford, who is essentially Prince Charming. Um, in my mind, he's kind of like, he kind of, in my mind, he looks like a young Travante Rhodes. Like he, like these, these characters are all, all black. Um, the thing is, the thing is that, and I, I, I have come across people who assume that Constance is white. I get character art of Constance rendered as a white girl, and um, I, she, it's the red hair and the freckles that throws people. Um, but my, like, my grandma is from Birmingham, Alabama, and she had red hair and freckles, and you know, um, she's a whole black lady. So I, you know, I. I think that, and I've wondered if it was my kind of, um, my, a failure on my part to clearly convey 
what I intended for these characters, or if it was uh, more of a combination of publishing as a whole um, and the white gaze that is so prevalent. Um, we have been conditioned to think, as readers, we have been conditioned to imagine um, Black characters in a very specific way. And anytime you kind of step outside of that, um, it sometimes it throws people for a loop, but it's because publishing has only championed stories that depict Black people in a certain way. Um, I have had people tell me that they did not know that a Black person could be born with red hair or eyes that weren't brown. The other thing about the eyes though, like my main characters all have brown eyes because I love brown eyes. And I feel like sometimes we get into this light eyed thing where it's like, you know, all the dark skin characters, all the black characters have to have light eyes. And it kind of makes this weird, like fetishization of, of characters and I don't do that. So um, Cinderella is, Cinderella's dead in this story. She, in my mind, looks kind of like Beyonce, um, but it's, you know, it's just cause that's in my head. Um, but I do think that the white gaze has had an effect on, on this story, but in my mind, and I can't, you know, once I write a book and I kind of put it out there, I can't um, dictate how my readers kind of take those things in and imagine them, but I, I, I would challenge readers to, to next time you see a, a character that is red hair or has different hair or isn't what you think black people should look like to rethink that because um, there's a lot of assumptions being made there specifically because of the way that publishing has um, has allowed black people to exist on the page. Um, it's 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 kind of it's still an ongoing um, battle. Um, and so I I think that it's um, just know that from me, all these characters are black, um, all different kinds, all different shades, all different people, but it's all black people <laughs> for Cinderella is dead. I just want to add on something quickly before we go to the next question. So I've been realizing the same thing. I think it's something that's been internalized over the years of reading primarily books with white main characters, with cis heterosexual white main characters, and even before the description is given of pale skin, blonde hair, blue eyes, I'm already picturing it because that's been the narrative for every other book that I've read before. Mm -hmm. And so then when a book like Cinderella is dead, um, when I read a book like that and I see, wait, these aren't pale, pale skinned, blonde hair, blue eyed. These are people like me and my mom and my sister and my grandma. I know these people. It, it forces you, as you're saying, to challenge yourself to realize that, hey, not all of these characters are going to be the same narrative that publishing wants you to see. There's a new wave and that new wave looks like us. So really appreciate that. Yeah, I thank you for thank you for that. Yeah, because it's 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 publishing. Publishing has kind of um, put this upon us. And so we're trying to dig our way out. We're trying to we're trying to uh, better the situation we're trying to fix it and there's still there is still resistance um to it um you know I get asked all the time like how can you how can you write a book that doesn't center white people I don't know if 
um, I have, a, so I have Twitter, I'm pretty active on there. And I got an email from someone that I put on Twitter um, who essentially suggested that I make um, my characters, um, that I should add more white people to my stories if I wanted my book to be successful, that that oh. was the way to do it. Yeah, it was a very unfortunate email and the tweet kind of went viral and it was like, I just really, I felt like I needed a witness because sometimes people don't believe me when I say you wouldn't believe the type of emails that I get that tell me I have ruined this, this white heritage story of Cinderella, that that's their culture and their heritage and how dare I do this to Cinderella and all these things. But I also get these emails that tell me, hey, if you want to be successful, they're assuming Cinderella's dead isn't successful, which, yeah, not not true. Um, but that I need to incorporate more white people into my stories, and so I think that um, I think that for me, writing these stories is is an act of resistance um, in and of itself. Um, I can center black people, and I don't have to cater to a, a to that white gaze um, in order to be successful. And I that that's um, that's something that, you know, I take a lot of, a lot of pride in because it's, it's, it's important. Um, just to like quickly add on to that. So I didn't realize how big of an issue really publishing was until I'd seen this. I don't know if you guys saw that article by the New York Times that showed the different statistics about um, the percentage of books by black authors that were published over like 50 years or something compared to the number by white persons. And it absolutely mm -hmm. blows your mind. And then when you hear some of the reasoning it's because we already have our token black author or we already have our token black girl. And that's just so disheartening to see. And as much as there are being changes made, sometimes you just sit there and wonder how much change will really occur. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel the same way because it there's um, the diversity baseline study. It comes out like once a year or once every two years. I can't remember exactly, but every every time that it comes out and I look at it, it's like there are more books about talking animals than there are about black people in children's literature. Um, and more than half of the books that are written that feature black characters are written by white people. So not only are we, you know, not being centered, we're also not being allowed to tell the stories ourselves. Um, and that is also a problem because then you get this kind of stereotypical representation of, of it's almost a caricature of what black people are and who we you know, who we are as a people. And so um, it's very important that we be allowed to tell our own stories. Um, but those statistics are are really, you know, they're disheartening to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Caitlin, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to add on. I was just, um, I was just going to say that it's the same thing in movies where you have a black character, but or a, uh, character of color because and then they just turn into an animal mid-movie and then all of a sudden at the end of the movie they're back to being their character and then all of a sudden they're now an animal again and um, yeah I, I, yeah yeah um I love uh fairy tales and I love Disney princesses but I didn't get 
Princess Tiana until I was I was almost 30 at that time. And she was a frog for 70 percent of the movie. So it's yeah, it's um, it's it's not even really subtle. You know, it's it's um, it's frustrating. Um, and so I I'm hopeful that um, with so many amazing books, um, you know, finally, finally kind of getting their shine that we will see more adaptations uh, to movies, to, you know, to film, to television, um, maybe even to the stage, you know, it whatever these other kinds of mediums, I'm hopeful that we will get to see some better, uh, more varied representation um, where we don't have to be animals for 70% of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, so our next question is, um, are there real people behind some of the characters in your book? Um, do they know it's them? And if so, how do they react? Um, so not specifically um i do take things from people who are around me um kind of you know character traits things that people kind of do habits um that they have i take those things from from the people that are around me um for cinderella's dead um constance just this kind of determined um attitude really comes from my love of fairy tales and those traits that are usually ascribed to the men um in those fairy tales she's very strong-willed she's good with a dagger she is willing to kind of lay down her life for for the girl that she cares about um i took all of those things from other kind of fairy tale characters but though most of those characters are men um and so i wanted to see it on on someone else but as far as you know people around me i have a daughter i have i have four kids but my oldest daughter um reminds me a lot of sophia um you know she's a good person she's kind she um kind of wears her heart on her sleeve um and so i take those kind of personality traits from people around me and and incorporate them into my characters but not anybody specific um but you know i have people around me if they want to they like to act up, they might, you know, be a villain in my next story. So they should probably, they should probably be careful. But yeah, not, not yet. <laughs> I love that warning. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question for you. This is kind of off script. But have you watched the um, Cinderella, the version of Cinderella with Brandy Norwood? And what were your thoughts on that version? It's my favorite version, and it's the only version of Cinderella that I officially like recognize. We watched that movie for the launch of Cinderella is Dead. We did like a movie night, um, and we just did another watch party like a couple months ago where it was like a giveaway thing. We watched it again. I love it. Um, it is not a coincidence that Queen Constantina in Brandy's version of Cinderella and my character Constance have a similar name. I definitely drew from there. So yes, I love that version and um, I love Whitney Houston. I love Brandy. I love, um, I just love the entire, the entire thing. So yes, I love it. It's my favorite. <laughs> oh my God, I love that. I love that you that. Our next question is: What are some things that didn't make it into the book that you really loved? Um, you know, I I think that 
for the most part, I got to include everything that I wanted to include. Um, my editor and I have a really wonderful kind of collaborative um, professional relationship. So, you know, if there's something that I really, really feel strongly about that needs to stay in, um, we're usually on the same page about that. If there's um, if there's anything that needs to be cut, it's usually just to kind of tighten things up a little bit. Like we don't need 10 pages of this. Maybe we, maybe it could be five. Um, so I never, uh, she never asks me to kind of compromise on things that I'm super passionate about. And the things that end up getting cut is usually for a reason. And she knows <laughs> she's, she's so good at what she does. Um, so there's, there's nothing that I can think of that, um, that has been cut that I really miss or or wish that I had been able to to add in there. So I'm I feel like I'm lucky um, in that way. So not haven't had that experience um, so far. Um, slightly unrelated question, but still to do with the book. Um, when we were buying the books, we were wondering which cover should we get. So we ended up getting this one for the listeners. It's the purple one. Mm -hmm. Which is your favorite cover? The purple one. The um, purple. That is, that is, uh, and I'm so glad that you picked the purple one. I, in, in my mind, um, this is as close to how Sophia actually looks in my head. When I see her, when I think of her, um, this is as, I think this is as close as you could get um, without, you know, a photograph or something. So um, I love the UK cover. The blue cover is is gorgeous. It's a totally different kind of art style. Um, and I, I love it for different reasons. But this, the purple cover has a special kind of place in my heart because it was the first time that I had seen uh, Sophia depicted. Um, and I remember kind of looking at the sketches and um, and my publisher asking me what I wanted you know, and I said, I just, I want Sophia on the cover. She's got to be on the cover. She's got to have her hair out. She has to be kind of, I didn't want her to be smiling. I wanted her to be very determined looking. Um, and they, they just, they did a, a, a fabulous job. So yeah, the purple cover is my favorite. Yeah. I remember in our podcast episode, we were obsessing over it. And the fact that it's just, she just looks unapologetically black. There was no compromise, whether it's the plump lips, which people are always fetishizing, but that's a conversation for another time. <laughs> <laughs> the nose, the hair, the skin color, everything about it just, it warmed us. And it was really comforting to see someone like us on the cover of a book. But yeah. um, our next question is, can you tell us a little bit about your next books coming out and where people can get them? We see in your background this poison heart, so. Yeah, yeah, um, that is Briseis, my main character from this poison heart. So this poison heart comes out uh, June 29th. We're like 16 or 17 days away from that and I'm extremely nervous, but um, I'm very excited about that book. Um, it is, um, it's, my main character, Brisea, she's a 16-year-old um, young woman. She lives in Brooklyn with her moms. They own a plant shop. Um, and Briseis was born with a gift. Think like, um, like if Poison Ivy was a 16-year-old Black girl from Brooklyn. Um, that is 
kind of the the basis of this story. And uh, Briseis's aunt, who she didn't even know um, existed, leaves her an estate um, in upstate New York. And so her and her moms go up there for the summer to check it out. And they realize that the house comes with a very specific set of instructions. And on, on the property is a walled garden filled with the deadliest plants um, on the planet. And she uncovers some secrets about her own family line lineage that stretch back thousands of years. And um, a secret in that poison garden um, that just the threat of its revelation kind of might, might cause the gods themselves to have to intervene. So it is the secret garden meets Little Shop of Horrors with a Greek mythology twist um, with a queer black cast. And um, it is it is the book of my heart. Like as much as I love Cinderella's Dead, that book is always gonna be my, my debut novel, my, my baby, my book baby. This book is, is just so special to me and it comes out June 29th and it'll be available everywhere books are sold and I um I'm extremely excited <laughs> extremely nervous but extremely excited um yeah and so and then I have a middle grade next year that comes out my debut middle grade novel um it's called The Vanquishers it is um it's about a 12 year old girl um, named uh, Malika Wilson and her two BFFs and they live in San Antonio, Texas. Um, it's kind of an alternative future San Antonio, Texas where vampires were known to have existed but have been extinct for a long time and they were wiped out by a group of masked vigilantes um, called the Vanquishers. And um, one day my main character's friend turns up missing and uh, people start to think that maybe they're not extinct after all. And so they have to kind of figure that out. Um, so again, queer black girls for the win, um, even in middle grade, I think we can, um, I think we can do that in that space. And so I'm, I'm extremely excited about both of those titles. Okay, I just, I have to say something because <laughs> I'm already in love with both books and um, <laughs> I'm a huge Greek mythology fan. Secret Garden was one of my favorite books in school. Um, I haven't read the House, the House of Horrors, I think you said. I haven't read that one. But everything just sounds, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm yeah. so excited. I'm here going like, I'm excited. I'm so excited for this. And I can't wait for it to come out. I, I will be watching 12 o'clock and I'll just be there. Yes. <laughs> That, 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 I'm excited. And I know Amanda might want to say something because I can see her face over there. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I also love every single thing about it. But what really stands out to me once again is the representation because even myself as a queer black girl, seeing other queer black girls, I just, you can't help but smile and you can't help but feel renewed. And when you wake up, you have a certain pep in your step because you're like, hey, there are authors out there who notice me. There are authors out there like me. There are authors out there centering stories where I can so beautifully fit into there. And even the thing with the character having two moms, rarely ever do you read about it unless it's some, oh my gosh, there are two lesbian moms and this jock wants to then go and make moves with these two lesbian moms. So, but when it's actually a story, when it's natural, 
And when it's just a part of it, it's not something that's ostracized. I don't know. I just, I'm really excited for this Boys of the Heart. Yeah, I, I think, and I think one of the main things um, that, uh, you know, early readers have kind of let me know is that they, they really, they appreciate that kind of queer family representation, because I think sometimes we'll get a queer main character or, you know, but, but kind of having, um, because my main character, Briseis, is queer herself, um, and then she has two queer Black moms, um, I think that that kind of um, that family dynamic and they are a strong family unit. There's, um, you know, they are just, um, their family dynamic is, was super important to me. Um, and putting that on the page in a way that felt, um, you know, kind of like, let me, let me take your hand and let's do this together. Like their child is like, the chosen one, but how can you, you know, you're, when your mom is knee deep in your business, when you have a curfew, when it's, you know, it's Saturday morning and, you know, it's time to clean and your mom is listening to Faith Evans in the living room. It's like, these kind of things are just, you know, these everyday kind of mundane experiences, but they mean so much because we don't always get to see that. And, and so I'm just, um, I'm super excited about the book itself and the family representation that we get to see there, because I, I love it. I think, I think you will love mom and Mo and Briseis and their family unit. So I'm, I'm excited for y'all to read it. Can't wait, can't wait. <laughs> I do have to say um, about Cinderella said, I'm not sure if you've read any of the first Jackson series, mm -hmm. but Hazel, Hazel Lavis, I hope I say her name right. She reminds me so much of Sophia. Not, the queer part but just how she presents herself how determined and you can see her growth and you can see everything that goes along um with how the book develops and one thing that i love about rick for including her in the second series with percy and everybody else is that he's put so much more characters into it and seeing one of my favorite characters from one of my favorite series come back to life in another book with um, a black author and um, having a queer, um, sorry, and being queer and living her life and being who she wants. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, really cool. it's, it's, it's the honor of my life to be able to write these books and tell these stories. It really is. And, um, oh, Caitlin. Sorry. Okay. Kelly is super excited. I'm excited for the book coming out on June 29th as well. Um, before I go into the question I'm supposed to ask, um, my question is, what was your first book, the first book you read written by a Black author, and what's your favorite book written by a Black author? Um, they are they are probably one in the same. It's probably Beloved by Toni Morrison. Um, I, I, I was introduced to Toni Morrison by a librarian when I was 12 because I was looking for stories that had Black people in them and was not finding them in, um, in the children's section where I was reading. Um, and she was like, okay, well, you're 12. So, but, you know, here you go. Um, it, it, I don't think that, um, it blew my mind even as a 12 year old. And then when I 
came back to it later when I was older and I could appreciate some more of the nuance there. Um, I think that Toni Morrison and probably Zora Neale Hurston um, are my two biggest kind of literary influences um, because I think it was in their work that I started to see pieces of myself and my family um, for the very first time. Um, and so um, I, I think that that's kind of what you do as a reader when you don't have great representation, you kind of find pieces, bits and pieces of yourself in different titles and it could be different genres, different age categories. I read a lot of adult fiction as a kid um, just because that's where I was finding more, um, more inclusive storytelling. Um, and so I, I really, I feel like Beloved is probably one of my favorite stories. Um, I could talk all day about how it is a Gothic horror novel with, you know, my thesis on why it, you know, it is a Gothic novel and how that looks different when we, when we're talking about horror, when we're talking about, um, uh, you know, horror novels and what that looks like when it's written by Black people, what, you know, how that changes things and how, and what we're seeing now with like Jordan Peele and all these kinds of, you know, these people who are bringing horror because I'm a huge horror fan oh my goodness I love um scary things scary movies scary films um I have you know those books I was reading as a kid lots of Stephen King which was not um probably not what I should have been reading when I was 12 but hey you know that's that's what I had access to so um I think um I think Beloved by Toni Morrison is fulfills both of those things for me Okay, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. So the question is, you're in an auditorium stuffed to the brim with young girls and boys that have been marginalized in some way or the other. Um, um, so we're asking you, what do you tell those girls and boys? Um, you know, I would tell young people, girls, boys, non-binary kiddos, um, you know, that your your stories are important and you deserve to see yourself on the page in ways that are empowering and uplifting. Um, and kind of like I was saying before, oftentimes we, you know, um, when you are part of a group of people have, who have been ex historically excluded, um, we find a lot of depictions of our pain and of our suffering and of our struggle. Um, and while those stories are important, it's also important to see ourselves um, in these uplifting kind of empowering ways. And so I would say that um, young people are um, who I write for and they're who I think about when I'm putting these stories onto paper. And um, I just want them to know that I see them and that they matter and that they deserve to be the dragon tamers and the chosen ones and the princesses and the lost royalty and the, you know, they deserve everything. And I feel very honored that I get to give them something that, that kind of fits into that, um, into that space. So they deserve to be the heroes of their own stories. And I hope that, um, I hope they have every opportunity to see that and I'll do my part um, to make sure that they, that they do.
do have a kind of slightly personalish question. I write poems. I and I kind of dabble in songwriting a little bit, and I've always been inspired to write books, but I could never get around to putting the words on the paper. I can see everything in my head. I just don't know how to write it, which is why I write the poems. But the poems are like this long. It's not enough to make a book. What would your advice be to me or anybody who feels like me in terms of wanting to write a book and wanting to get their voice out there? How would What advice would you give to us? Yeah, I... I would say that if you are struggling to, and first of all, like the poetry, I love poetry. I think that poetry, um, even for prose writers, um, can improve your craft. So I love poetry and I love that you're doing that. So I think you should do that, do it, you know. But um, as far as, you know, kind of thinking about um, novel writing and putting those stories, getting that first draft down um, is, is always a challenge. But I have, found that um, a couple different books on craft have been really helpful to me. So um, there's this book called Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Um, it's helpful for kind of organizing the story and getting it down, getting that first draft down on the page. There's also, um, I actually have it here because I was looking at it again. Um, it's called make a scene um and it's by jordan rosenfeld and it's extremely helpful for plotting just kind of organizing things and putting them down on paper uh for me i do like an index card system um so basically like any tool that you can kind of use that works for you that helps you get the story down is that works um so i use like an in i just buy like a stack of index cards I'm drafting right now. So I have a bunch um, and I'll write down like the key scenes. So it doesn't matter where in the story they're at. And then I'll try to arrange them on the wall or on the floor in order. Um, and that gives me kind of a very rough framework for what I'm working with. I have things that I know happen towards the beginning of the story and things that happen at the end, things in the middle. And then that lets me um, it's kind of, I think of it kind of like a scaffolding for hanging the rest of my story on. Um, once I have those bones of the story, I can then sit down at my computer and, and, um, and start that first draft. And, you know, your first draft can be the most terrible, awful, like garbage juice draft that anybody's ever seen. That's okay. Because you're the only one who's going to see that, that I write that those those first drafts and sometimes they're awful, but I, I think of it as me telling myself the story so that I can figure out where I need to fix it, what I need to do next. Um, and then the work kind of comes alive in revisions. Um, and so getting it down, I feel that. I feel how difficult that is because it's still hard for me. Um, but I've kind of taken these other tools in to try to help me find a way around that. Um, and now that I have this system, it's much it's much easier um, to to get that first draft down. So um, I would I would suggest maybe trying some of that, reading some of these books about craft um, because it's really inspiring too. Like some of these uh, craft books, they're very inspiring. So it makes me be like, okay, I need to go write this right now. This is going to be perfect, and um, you know, working through some of that. So yeah it's taking that first 
leap is always the scariest, but it it's definitely worth it. As soon as I am done with IB, I will try because. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you for that. I, I will yeah. try. Yeah. OK, and so everyone that's been listening, first of all, thank you for sticking through this uh, longer than usual episode. But there was a lot covered, got a lot of good content, lots of good advice, messages, and we hope that it warmed your heart as much as it warmed ours. If you haven't already from the last episode, read Cinderella is Dead, please sort yourself out, get that done, read the book, and we'll set a reminder um, for the 29th of June when this Poison Heart comes out so that you can also go and get that. We'd all like to just say another really, really big thank you to Kaylin Barron for agreeing to come and speak to us We've had a great time and we hope you have a great day. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you.